Welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary. Today I'm going to be talking about the college football playoff semifinal games from this weekend. Alabama faced off against Notre Dame and Ohio State played Clemson. I'm also going to be talking about Urban Meyer potentially heading to the NFL. Those are the rumors going around right now. I'm also going to talk about Tom Herman being fired and who the, uh, the, the Texas Longhorns hired as his replacement. And to close out the podcast, I want to talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Atlanta Hawks because both of those teams have played very, very well this season. And I want to talk about what I've seen so far from them. And and I want to give my two cents about uh, those teams' performances so far. But let's start off with Alabama and Notre Dame. That was the one versus four matchup in the college football playoff. They played in the, this was the the Sugar Bowl, I believe. And they played in Jerry World. Um, this was a, a, a not a very good game. Neither semifinal game was very good. Uh, but this one for sure was just it was not really that entertaining at all. Uh, Alabama won thirty-one to fourteen, and they dominated this game. It never really fell out of it. it always fell out of reach for Notre Dame. It never felt like Alabama uh, relinquished control of this game at any point. Uh, during the contest, um, and they got it. They had a great start. I mean, they went up fourteen nothing, really, really early in the game. Uh, they scored. They scored their first touchdown on the screen to Devontae Smith, um, and he just that was an incredible play on that screen when he caught it. I mean, the explosion, the athleticism he showed on that play made a tackler miss. Um, that was a huge play. Um, and then on Notre Dame's first first two drives, they really couldn't do anything. They couldn't get things going offensively. They couldn't move the ball. Um, and, and it was rough for them to start out the game because they decided they elected to receive on the opening kickoff, which gave Alabama the ball on the opening kickoff of the second half. Um, which, that was a, a bold move by them. And then they couldn't really do anything offensively, so that, that really killed them. Um, and then Alabama was just firing on all c- cylinders on offense. I mean, everyone played well. Matt Jones was great. Devontae Smith dominated. Najee Harris was awesome. Um, he had one play where he hurdled a defender, and that was crazy. I mean, I know if, you, if you've been on social media or if you watched the game, you saw this play. I mean... It was insane. It's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I mean, he hurdled a guy, and not just anyone, someone that was six feet tall. It's not like he hurdled a 5'9 quarterback. No, he hurdled a six-foot-tall human being and cleared them. I mean, like, he cleared them. That was incredible. Um, But they went at 14-0, and... Man, Matt Jones, he played really, really, really well. I'm going to talk about his performance a little bit later. Um, but once they went down 14 nothing, Notre Dame actually started to move the ball a little bit. They started to run the ball, um, and and they started to have a little bit of success. Um, they There was one drive uh, in the first quarter where they got a huge gain on a screen where it was a really nice play design where they faked the run to the right. Um, and that moved the entire Alabama defense to the right side of the field. 
Then they threw it to the running back on the left side. There was no Alabama defender on the left side of the field, so they got a huge gain. Um, that was just a very intelligent play call. If you saw the game, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that was a really smart play call. And then um, this is a drive where they started to run the ball with success, and they were able to score on fourth and goal with 11 minutes and 22 seconds left. Um, and, no, no, that's wrong. I don't know why that's, it says that in my notes, but they were able to score. Um, I think that's in the second quarter. Um, and then after after uh, Alabama went up 14-0, both offenses were kind of stale a little bit. Uh, neither offense was extremely good in this game. And Alabama's uh, is specifically wasn't that impressive. Be, in terms of what they've been all season and how they played, they were not as explosive in this game. They weren't throwing the ball deep down the field like we're used to seeing from them um, in, for, from the rest of the season. And so that was that was interesting. Uh, they played a little bit more controlled, a little bit more conservatively, uh, and that was interesting to see. I expect them to change that in the national championship game. I expect them to throw the ball down the field, kind of attack all three levels of the field more than they did in this game. Um, but we just saw a, a different Alabama offense in this game, but their defense was awesome. Um, and then in the third quarter, after halftime, when Alabama went up 21-7, Ian Buck, he threw a pick with 7 minutes and 30 seconds left in the third. And after the interception, the game was pretty much over. Um, and Alabama, you know, they scored uh, another touchdown, and then they got a field goal. Alabama was very good on both sides of the ball in this game. Um, they were just really, really efficient. Um, although the stats look impressive, they, it wasn't the same Alabama offense that we've seen. Um, and that's really impressive. That just speaks to how awesome they were in this game and how dominant they were. And, and Notre Dame, they, they had a, a solid game plan. They just were able to execute it. They, they ran the ball a lot. And they attempted to control the tempo of the game uh, in their favor. But they weren't able to do this, and they weren't able to turn possessions into points, and they weren't able to move the ball. Uh, they weren't able to have long, long drives. Um, they were having to punt early. They kept having like second and longs instead of second and shorts, uh, and that really hurt them. Uh, but hey, at least Notre Dame covered, because you know the saying, good teams win, great teams cover. Uh, this was a rough game for Notre Dame's offense. Um... And, and like I said earlier, Mac Jones played really, really well. I was really impressed with what I saw from him. Um, he looked mobile for the first time. I mean, he, he has not looked as mobile as he did in this game. In all the games that I've seen. I haven't seen every game. Uh, but, you know, I do a little bit of scouting. I enjoy doing that. So I've watched a few Mac Jones games. And that's one of my biggest issues with him as a prospect. He's not very mobile. Um, he can be a bit of a statue at times. Uh, but in this game, he made a few nice throws on the run, and that was nice to see. And then Devontae Smith, he was great. Seven receptions, 130 yards, and three touchdowns. Najee Harris had 15 carries, 125 yards. Didn't have a touchdown, but he had 8.3 yards per carry. That was awesome. Um, in Notre Dame, they just they weren't that good. Um, offensively, they struggled. Uh, and defensively, they they really um, they weren't doing well in coverage, and they gave up 31 points, and, and they were only able to put up 14 points. So uh, 
when you go up against Alabama, even ha- even though Notre Dame had one of the best defenses in the country, uh, they weren't going to be able to win this game, putting up only 14 points on offense. And the game, like, this was only a 17-point game, but it wasn't, it was not this close. I mean, Alabama just dominated this game, and although they weren't as impressive as they as they've been all all season, I don't think it's because uh, they just weren't good in this game. I think they held back a little bit. I don't think they wanted to show all their cards uh, in the semifinal game, so I think they held back. Um, and we'll see them go all out in the national championship game. And I think they'll have a much better performance against Ohio State than than they did in this game. Um, and before I move on to the the second semifinal game, this game has it should like this game should have no bearing on whether or not people believe Notre Dame should have been in the playoff. Notre Dame was deserving of the of the of the fourth seed. They were completely deserving of being in the playoff. They played they played extremely well all season. They were an elite defense. Ian Book played really really well. Um, and, and they had a, a great win against Clemson. I get that Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing. That's still a quality win, in my opinion. I, I, I think DJ Uyunglele is a serviceable, a serviceable quarterback, and even more than that. I mean, I honestly believe that he's one of the 10 most talented quarterbacks in college football right now. So I think, uh, obviously Trevor Lawrence not being there hurt Clemson in that game. Um... But I still think that was a quality win. Um, and, and statistically, they were a really, really good team this year. They had a better argument than Texas A&M, in my opinion, because statistically, they were more impressive in terms of like points for uh, possession on both sides of the ball, yards per play, um, yards per point. Like All those statistics matter a lot, in my opinion, um, and they ranked really high in those categories. So... Although Notre Dame got got destroyed, and although they have a history of coming up short in these kind of moments, uh, this should not uh, cause anybody to think less of them. Um, this should have no bearing on whether people think they should have been in the playoff this year or whether they should make the playoff in, in the coming in, in in the next few years. Uh, if if they play well enough and if they have the resume, they deserve to get in. Past performances should not determine whether the Notre Dame Fighting Irish get to play in the playoff. That's not how we should determine it. And I get that there's no concrete criteria for the college football playoff. Uh, that's one huge issue with it. Um, but Notre Dame losing this game and losing in the playoffs and and, and in the championship game time and time again, should have no bearing on whether or not they make it uh, in the future. All right, let's move on, talk about Ohio State-Clemson, and what an impressive performance by the Ohio State Buckeyes. They won 49-28, to and I thought Clemson was going to win this game um, by at least a touchdown. Um, I thought Clemson was a better team. Ohio State's defense really concerned me. Um, they had... A very underwhelming defense in terms of, like, relative to the other top four teams. The other three top four teams were all really, really good defensively. They were all elite defensive teams, and Ohio State wasn't that. They were average at best defensively. Now, offensively, they were awesome. 
Um, but they only played six games. They weren't great defensively, so uh, people began questioning them as a legitimate playoff team. And I didn't know if they were going to be able to hang with Clemson because I thought their defense would struggle. Um, and I didn't know if they were going to be able to score enough uh, to keep up with Clemson because Clemson has a very, very good defense. Um, they are, their defense is extremely talented. And so I thought that Ohio, Ohio, Ohio State's poor def- defense would give them trouble in this game. It did not. Um, and not even close. I mean, Ohio State, they, they I'm going to just say it, they dominated Clemson. They beat the crap out of Clemson. I mean, they just totally dominated them. I mean, Clemson didn't even look like they belonged in the same field as Ohio State. This was an unreal performance by them. And and it wasn't like this for the entire game. Early on, Clemson played really well. They had a great start. Trevor, he had a a throw deep down the field. Um, And then they score. He ended up scoring a touchdown to go up 7-0 early in the game on a zone read uh, where he kept the ball. Ran it in for a touchdown. And their offense wasn't stagnant. I mean, early on in the game, they were able to run the ball. They had that deep shot that I mentioned. So their offense looked really good. Um, And they were able to score two touchdowns, I believe, in the first quarter. Um, But after they went up 14-7, to their offense just fell apart. And it just, it fell off a cliff. Um, They couldn't run the ball after this. They only had two yards per rush for the entire game, which is terrible. Um... And their offensive line was awful. They kept giving up pressures. Uh, they kept allowing Ohio State to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. And then and then Trevor looked uncomfortable under pressure all night long. Um, and you, you this showed up early. There was a throw, or there was a play early in the game where they where Clemson had, a, a t- I believe, a tight end running up the middle of the field. Um, and it, it looked like it, it may have been like a coverage breakdown from Ohio State. Uh, or maybe just a really good play call. I'll have to go go back and look at it. But they had a receiver slash tight end wide open in the middle of the field, but Ohio State was able to get pressure on Trevor, and he wasn't able to make the throw. Um, and that was one that he probably shouldn't have made. Uh, he, he would love to have that back. I know that. Um, but, yeah, their offense just wasn't the same after the first quarter. They weren't able to run the ball. They were their offensive line was struggling and then defensively they were terrible there as well like deandre kendrick is that is that his name or is it darian kendrick let me look uh darian or darian kendrick that's his name i apologize darian kendrick he struggled uh all game long um and that was a rough game for him and it wasn't like aj terrell last year where aj terrell uh had a rough night in the national championship, but actually played very well when you look back at the tape. It wasn't the same story. Like, Darion Kendrick really, really struggled. Um, and they asked him to play in man coverage, zone coverage. Uh, they'd asked him to play um, in, like, deep thirds, and he'd struggle there. It was just a rough game for him. And I feel bad for him because he's supposed to be um, a pretty big... Uh, draft prospect, and I don't know what kind of effect this game will have on his draft stock, but I'm sure I'm sure it'll have a negative effect. So I, I hate that for him. But their whole defense struggled; they couldn't stop the run. Trey Sermon was amazing in this game, um, and they they couldn't stop Ohio State's passing game. Ohio State was killing them deep down the field. I mean, they were relentlessly um, throwing the ball deep down the field. 
And then that combined with their their success in the run game, I mean, that was a recipe for disaster for Clemson, especially when you factor in that the the fact that they couldn't move the ball uh, in the run game, and they don't have the receiving core to really run to running a pass heavy offense because Justin Ross isn't there because he has um, the back injury, um, you know. Their number one receiver is Amari Rogers, and Amari Rogers is good, and he he's a good receiver, but he's not the kind of receiver that can play on the outside, win one on one matchups. That's not who he is. He's more of an inside slot receiver type of guy, um, and so I I think once Clemson began struggling defensively, and once the run game began to fail, this game was over for them, and Ohio State took over. Um, and Ohio State just started taking their shots in the second half. Um, and, and, and from the first quarter on, they were just killing Clemson. And and I just got to give a big shout-out to Ohio State. And a big shout-out, mainly, uh, there's two players I want to give a shout-out to. One, Justin Fields. I am so happy for Justin Fields and the way he performed in this game. Because there's for years now, he and Trevor have been in, in the same conversation because they're both big-time uh, prospects. Both are expected to be drafted within the top five picks of this year's draft. They're both seen as extremely talented quarterbacks. Um, but Trevor Lawrence has always been seen as the number one guy. He was in high school uh, at the Elite 11. He was seen as, as the alpha dog. But even then, Justin Fields outplayed him. Um, and, and Justin Fields has, for years now, he's been fighting for the spotlight. He's been fighting to, to get to that number one spot and to overcome Tre- Trevor Lawrence and to overtake him as the next big thing. And after last year's performance against Clemson where Fields struggled, and then um, he struggled in that game, it was not his best performance. And then he, he had the game-ending interception, um, that was a rough game for him. And, and in the beginning of the year this year, he started to struggle once again. His decision-making came into question, and rightfully so. I mean, this wasn't just a narrative. This was something that was a legitimate issue with Justin Fields in the beginning of the season. Against Indiana, he had a lot of interceptions, and he made a lot of bad throws. These interceptions, it wasn't a case where he was just trying to fit the ball into a tight window and, and he was just getting picked off. No, he was making very, very poor decisions. And he, he was making just throws you wouldn't expect a top prospect to make. But he came into this playoff game with a chip on his shoulder, and he performed, and he shined. I mean, he, he, completed, he completed 22 of 28 passes for 385 yards, 13.8 yards per attempt, 6 touchdowns, to one interception. That's an incredible stat line. One of the best performances we've seen in college football history, especially in the college football era. What a performance by by Justin Fields. He came out with a chip on his shoulder, and he played extremely well. He, he outplayed Trevor Lawrence, and I'm just proud of him. I wanted to see Justin Fields play well, because I, although I went to high school with Trevor, Although I grew up in the same town as Trevor Lawrence, I still want to see Justin Fields succeed. I don't want to see him fail because I think he is a stud in his own right, 
and I wanted to see him play well. I wanted to see him, you know, kind of put the past behind him, and I, and I wanted to, him to show that he is a special quarterback in his own right, and he did just that on on Friday. So shout out to him. I just wanna I just wanna say props to Justin Fields because he played so so well, and I'm really proud of him. The other guy I want to give a shout out to is Chris Olave. Uh, a few months, like a month ago, I believe it was a month ago, maybe two months ago, around then, I wrote an article for NFL Mocks, um, and, and basically, in that article, I gave a little scouting report of Chris Olave, and I, and I discussed why I believe that he should. Uh, because, that he deserves consideration in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Um, and he has a very interesting story. Um, in high school, he, at one point, his junior year of high school, he, he and his brother moved to California, I believe. And because of transfer rules, he and his brother had to sit out for the entire year. So he missed a, a very important year in, uh, for recruiting purposes. And his brother, who was a year older, missed out on his senior year of football. Um, and this this hurt Chris Olave. This hurt his recruit his um his status as a as a high school recruit. And after his senior year, um, he was a three star recruit. And Ohio and he gained interest from Ohio State. And Ohio State gave him a scholarship. Well, the scholar they actually had reserved a spot um uh, for a quarterback who's actually at Indiana. Um, this quarterback is uh Penix's. Michael Penix's backup, who has played this season, um, he ended up not getting a, a scholarship offer from Ohio State. They gave that quarterback scholarship to Chris Olave, so that's why Olave ended up at Ohio State. That's something interesting that I found out doing research for my article. Um, but Chris Olave started out uh, with the odds stacked against him because there were only two, like th- that 2018. A uh, recruiting class was, um, was twenty four recruits deep, and there were only like two recruits that were ranked lower than Chris Olave. So, um, he had to do a lot of hard like there. He, it took a lot of hard work for him to get to where he is now, um, and so I think he's he's a source of inspiration, um, considering where he was coming into Ohio State. And where he's at now, he's one of the best receivers in college football. He's one of the best receivers in this year's draft. Um, but that's that's not why I want to give him a shout-out. I, I think that's cool, um, and that's a great story. But the reason why I want to give him props is because last year in the semifinal game, Ohio State played Clemson, and on the final play of the game, um, Ohio State dialed up a play that they had ran earlier in the game. And, and, and the play was designed for Chris Olave to get the ball on a post route. Um, and at the peak of his route, he, he stopped in his tracks and turned uh, to run to the left side of the field, almost as if he thought Justin Fields was scrambling outside of the pocket. The issue was, Fields wasn't. And so Fields threw the ball to where he thought Chris Olave was going to be on, on the post route. Um, and, and Olave was nowhere to be found, and he wasn't in position to catch the ball, but Clemson safety Nolan Turner was, and he ended up uh, picking fields off to end the game. 
And Chris Olave took this really, really hard. Um, that loss hurt him a lot. Um, and he was really upset with it. He felt a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, and a lot of anger following that loss. And he made like he made it a point to work his butt off in the offseason and to get to this point. Um, and to not ever feel this way ever again because that loss crushed him. And on and on Friday, he was incredible. Um, he was dominant, and it shows in the stat line. He had six catches for 132 yards and two touchdowns. He was spectacular. Um, he had a couple of deep shots. His route running was on display. His explosiveness as a receiver was on display. You love to see it. And he, I mean, he put last year's game behind him. And he was a huge reason why Ohio State won this game. So shout out to Chris Olave. He has a really interesting story. And I was really proud of the way he played in this game. So shout out to him. Shout out to the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I can't wait for Ohio State versus Alabama in the natty. That's going to be a fun, a, a very, very fun matchup. And I can't wait to watch. Alright, moving on. Let's talk about Urban Meyer. Um, in the reports that he could be heading to the NFL. Now, I think this is, this is very interesting. He's been retired for how long now? Um, is it two years? A year? A year? Let's look. When did Urban Meyer retire? When did Urban Meyer retire? He retired in... No. When did he retire? I don't know why it's telling me in a year. Alright. When did he retire? I uh, saying 1984. That's not true. Uh, retire from coaching. Let's see. Maybe that'll give me an actual answer. Okay, bro. What is this? Maybe I gotta go to his Wikipedia page to see when he quit being Ohio State's head coach. 2018. 2018 was his last season um, as a head coach at Ohio State. Um, he's been retired since then. He's been working mainly as an analyst at Fox Sports. Um... And so, he might be coming back to coaching, but not in the college game. He might be going to the NFL. And reports are that he's likely headed to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's interesting because the Jaguars have the number one pick in this year's NFL draft. And if Urban Meyer goes there, we could see Justin Fields get selected with the number one overall pick. Um, now, I don't know how likely it is that they'll take Fields over Trevor Lawrence, but Urban Meyer coached Justin Fields in 2018. Or did he Did he actually coach him? I can't remember if, if Fields was there yet. Now that I think about it, I don't know. I actually don't think they were there together. But the Ohio State ties, you know, it, it's not outlandish to think that the Jaguars will at least consider drafting Justin Fields with the number one overall pick if they do decide to hire Urban Meyer. Um, that's just something really interesting. Um, and, and if Justin Fields is taking number one overall, I guarantee like I, I guarantee you the Jets are taking a quarterback at number two. I know there's been a lot of rumors about what the Jets are going to do with the second overall pick. I still believe they're going to keep it and they're going to take a quarterback. I know everyone thinks they're going to either keep Sam Darnold um, and, and draft like Penny Sewell or, or, the, or they will trade it. I think they're going to keep the pick and they're going to draft the quarterback. Um, 
But yeah, it'll be interesting. This move uh, <laughs> could cause a lot of things to happen. So uh, that's something to keep your eye on. Next, I want to talk about term. Ha- term Tom. Wow, I cannot speak. I want to talk about term. Term. Jeez, Tom Herman. I want to talk about Tom Herman getting fired uh, by the Texas Longhorns. Uh, they made this move official on Saturday, and this makes sense. Uh, Herman is a good coach. Uh, but the Longhorns have been very disappointing during his tenure, and Texas is a great program that has a high standard um, of excellence, and they have expectations that Herman has failed to reach uh, during his tenure, and so I understand why they're firing him, and I think it's a good move, uh, because, you know, like, look at Michigan. Michigan just extended Jim Harbaugh's contract, and that's a massive mistake, in my opinion, Um, but Texas is not extending this marriage any longer. They're going to just rip the bandaid off, fire them, and they're bringing in new blood. And that new blood is officially Steve Sarkeesian, who has been Alabama's head coach or offensive coordinator this season. And he's been awesome. Um, he's been one of the, the best offensive minds in the country this season. And is a huge reason why Alabama has been so explosive on offense. Um, I like this hire. He has experience as a head coach, um, and he's had a lot of success with Mac Jones at Alabama, um, and I think he could have a lot of success at Texas. I think this is a good hire, and I like the move. All right, now let's finish off the pod talking about the Phoenix Suns and the Atlanta Hawks. Um, both these teams look incredible, and I've been very surprised by these teams' performances because they look so, so good. And right now, I think I'd argue that they are both uh, playing like top five teams in the entire league. Um, the Phoenix Suns, let's look at their numbers. They are um, they are for eighth in offensive rating at 111.4. They have a defensive rating of 101.8, which is second in the league. So they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And offensive and defensive rating basically means the amount of points a team scores per 100 possessions or the amount of points a team allows per 100 possessions. Basically, um, it's a better way to look at efficiency, and it shows how efficient these teams are on both ends of the court. The, the Suns also have a 5-1 record. Uh, they have an, an SRS of 11.3. An SRS is basically a ranking that Pro Basketball Reference gives each team. Um, this, this, like, because it's so early in the season, I don't put a lot of weight into this. Uh, but they are first. So basically, Pro Basketball Reference thinks they are playing like the best team in the NBA so far. Uh, so that's cool. Um, and I think a big reason why the Suns are playing so well right now is because um, they have a great, like a really, really well put together team. Um, they traded for Chris Paul in the offseason. Uh, that gives them someone that can be their primary playmaker. This allows Devin Booker to kind of play more not 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 so much off the ball, but he doesn't have as much playmaking duties as he did um, last season. So he can now focus on being it's a pri- primarily a scorer. Um, he's not having to be the primary playmaker. Chris Paul can do that. 
Um, so I, I expect Devin Booker to put up some impressive numbers offensively on good efficiency, and he has so far. Per 100 possessions, he's averaging 30 points, 6 assists, and 6 rebounds on 57% true shooting. That's great. Um, and Chris Paul has been awesome. I mean, he's averaging per 100 possessions, 23 points, 15 assists, and 7 rebounds with an assist rate of 44.4%. That's incredible. Now, he's not been very efficient as a shooter or a scorer, but um, his playmaking has been on full display. Uh, and adding Chris Paul elevated this team a little bit, but I think um, the evolution or the development of Michael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton um, has played a huge part in this as well. All three of those guys have played very well. And Michael Bridges has been really, really impressive so far this season. He's averaging 15 points um, and five rebounds and one assist per game uh, and, and over two stocks, which is steals plus blocks. And you look at the advanced stats, and he's... Um, He's got a he's got a win share. His win shares are one point one. That leads the team. Um, so he's been very impactful, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Um, he's got a block per, a block rate of three point five percent, a steal rate over one. Um, he's shooting over seventy percent uh, in terms of true shooting. That's really impressive. So he's been awesome. And then you look at um, DeAndre Ayton. He's been good. Twelve points. 11 rebounds per game, 2 assists, 1 block. Um, he's been awesome. And then Cameron Johnson. Uh, I want to show you his his per 100 possession numbers because they're crazy. I mean, per 100 possessions, he's averaging 30 points, 3 assists, 6 rebounds, one uh, 1.5 steals, 1 block. Um, and he's shooting... Um, his true shooting percentage is 69%. That's incredible, and he's got a win. Like his win share is 0.8. That's awesome. So they got a lot of guys stepping up their game. Cameron Payne, Langston Galloway, they've been awesome early on in the season. They got a really good team, and and it's just a really weird, uh, weird roster. But they they fit together so well, and and I really love the way um the Phoenix Suns have built their roster. They fit well together. I love the Chris Paul and the Devin Booker pairing. But I love the secondary guys that that play alongside them, like Michael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Cameron Johnson, Jay Crowder, Cameron Payne, Langston Galloway. Like all those guys fit together so well. And they've been playing um playing they've been playing really, really well this season. Um and it's nice to see. Uh, now, now let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks because they have been incredible, and they have arguably the best offense in the league so far this season. Now I know that they've only played six games, uh, but they're like they have a, an offensive rating of one hundred and eighteen point one, which is second in the league. Uh, defensively, they're uh, middle of the pack. They they got a defensive rating of 110.4, which is which ranks 19th in the league. However, they have a great uh, net rating. Their net rating, which is basically just their point differential per 100 possessions, their net rating is plus 7.7, which is fifth in the league. So although they've been uh, 
pretty mediocre defensively. They've been so good offensively that that kind of overcomes their poor defense. And they've been playing well enough uh, to be considered the top five team in the NBA uh, through six games. And when you look at everything else, like they have, um, <clears throat> um, like they're winning, their, their average margin of victory is like eight, around eight points. They're, they got a record of four and two. Um, that's, that's good. Um, now their SRS is a little bit lower, um, at 5.91, which, um, ranks seventh. But like I said earlier, I don't put too much stock into that. Uh, but it's nice to see that, that pro basketball reference thinks that they are the seventh best team in the league, uh, through six games. Um, so that's nice to see. And, and obviously, the main reason why they've been playing so well is because they made a lot of moves over the offseason. They added um, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings. They added Clint Capella. Now, they didn't add him over the offseason. They actually added him during the season last year, uh, or last season, uh, but he didn't play. So this is his first season with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they also added Danilo Gallinari, who has been dealing with some health issues. Um, and they added Rajon Rondo, Onyeko Okongwu through the draft, but he hasn't played due to injury. Chris Dunn, who hasn't played uh, due to injury. Um, they added a lot of guys to their roster. Um, and, you know, Trey Young, he's the main reason why they've been playing so well and why their offense is playing at, like, a crazy good rate. Um, like, per 100 possessions, Trey Young's averaging 41 points, 12 assists, and 7 rebounds, um, with a true shooting percentage of 63%, which is awesome. I mean, that that's great to see. Um, and his free throw rate's awesome. He's getting to the line a lot. Like, his free throw rate is... Point six seven, um, which means that he's uh, averaging point six seven free throws per field goal attempted, um, and that is extremely high, especially for uh, a point guard and especially for someone his size. Like he's only six one, um, and he only weighs one hundred and eighty pounds, but he's getting to the line like he's James Harden. I mean, he has become a James Harden esque free throw machine. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, the rate at which he's attempting free throws. And he's manipulating defenses in a way that he hasn't um, in, in throughout the beginning of his, of his career. Um, and this makes him a, a dangerous offensive weapon. Um, and he's been so good offensively that his poor defense isn't dragging down his impact. I mean, he, he has a win, his win shares... He's got like a, a one point two win shares, which basically means that he has been worth one point two wins through the first six games of the season. That's great, um, and he's still um, an elite playmaker. Like he's got an assist rate of forty two point four percent. You know, per one hundred possessions, he's averaging twelve twelve assists. Um, looking at per game numbers, he's averaging um, eight assists per game, which is great. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he's playing really well. He provides them some shot creation and secondary ball handling that they didn't have last season. And then Rondo has been great coming off the bench, leading the second unit. He's averaging seven assists per game. Um, and I want to look at his per 100 possession numbers because they're probably ridiculous. 
Yeah, like, per 100 possessions, Rajon Rondo is averaging 18 points and 21 assists. So he's been really, really effective coming off the bench. Uh, Clint Capella, he's been, he's been good. Kevin Hearn has been really, really good. John Collins is playing out of his mind. Um, Reddish has looked really good in his second year. Hunter, statistically, Hunter is actually pretty good. Uh, but I, I just, I feel like Cam Reddish is so much better than DeAndre Hunter. And I, and I'm a Hawks fan, uh, so I watch all their games. And, and Reddish is so impactful defensively in a way that Hunter just isn't. Um, and so I, I, I feel like Reddish is a better player. Um, but Hunter looks really, really good statistically. Um, and statistically, he just looks better than Reddish. But yeah, so like you have all these pieces and, and you have a, a star um, leading leading the charge in Trey Young. Um, and he's an excellent playmaker as well as a de- devastatingly good scorer. And you got a great pick and roll man in John Collins. You have a, a, a solid rim protector on Clint Capella. Uh, you got two small forwards in Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter um, who can shoot the ball and provide some a little bit of creation and some defense. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich, he's a, a good shooter um, who can handle the ball a little bit, as can Kevin Herter. Uh, Gallinari is excellent coming off the bench, and he'll be great when he's healthy. And then Rondo is a fantastic backup point guard. Um, so the Hawks, they have a, a ton of depth. Um, they got a lot of pieces that fit together really well offensively. And their their defense is going to be an issue for the entire year. I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, but I think their offense can be good enough uh, to make up for their poor defense. Anyway, that's all I have for today. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And I will see you all next time. Peace. <laughs>